The opening of Psalm 39 says this. I said, I will watch my ways and keep my tongue from sin. I will put a muzzle on my mouth while in the presence of the wicked. So I remained utterly silent, not even saying anything good. But my anguish increased. My heart grew hot within me while I meditated. The fire burned. Then I spoke with my tongue. I'm pretty confident that all of us have had moments consciously or unconsciously where the consequences of what we've said have left huge regret. Situations where we fail to guard what's been stirred up in our minds and hearts. And there's a sobering quote by American writer Jodie Pickle. She says, words are like eggs dropped from great heights. You can no more call them back then ignore the mess they leave when they fall. Words do damage, and we often can't take them back. I found uh, approaching a subject like this extremely difficult. Proverbs has a lot to say about how we use words. And I certainly don't want to pretend that I have a great track record myself or a portfolio of wise experience to share. And I'm grateful for those who have already done work on these verses, and I've been extremely helped by some of the principles others have drawn out from this book. And so I'm going to focus on three points as we explore the theme of words. There are words that have the power to destroy us. Words that have the power to build us up. And there are words that have the power to change us. There's a book called James in the New Testament of the Bible, and it has a verse which goes alongside what Proverbs says about the words we use. And that verse says that the tongue corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Words have the power to direct our entire life onto a road that leads to destruction. What we say How we speak to each other matter. So first of all, words have the power to destroy. Proverbs 18.21 says, The tongue has the power of life and death. When I was preparing this talk, I had read that a 17-year-old girl had been charged after she'd convinced her 18-year-old boyfriend, who had second thoughts on taking his own life, to get back in a car full of carbon monoxide. So what is said can literally end a life. In a word, you, you have the authority, give the order, and you can have not just one person killed, but thousands. We see that in history and we see that around the world today. Words can do damage in other ways as well, emotionally, psychologically. Proverbs 15 verse 4 says, The soothing tongue is a tree of life, but a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. One of the most vulnerable times in our life is when we're children. What is said to us then can shape who we become now. We often remember some of the comments a teacher at school repeatedly said to us. The words that parents or those who are close to us can settle deep within us. And if they're destructive words, 
they can be extremely difficult to shake off when we're older. Especially if they've come from people who we deeply admire and trust. And of course, that doesn't necessarily change when we're older. I remember a a sergeant in the British Army said to me why occasionally they do use negative words to their squaddies. It's to make a point, he said. To make them aware they've made a mistake or to cut down an unhelpful attitude that might be developing. But he also said how counterproductive and dangerous it can be. He said to me, calling them an idiot once is one thing. But if you continue to call them that, whenever they make a mistake, they begin to believe it. But even if you're someone who is quite mentally resilient to what might be unfairly verbally thrown at you, perhaps at work, depending on what's said, it can reshape or break whatever mental posture you had within moments, even if you're good at hiding it. Proverbs 18 verse 28 says, A perverse person stirs up conflict and a gossip separates close friends. The tongue and our words can destroy community as well. The Bible tells us a lot about not gossiping, and we ourselves probably don't want to be considered gossipers either. When I was on tour working in theatre, I noticed how damaging it was and how easy it was to be a part of. You see, in in touring theatre, you're usually in a small group, working very closely with each other for a long period of time. But then, after that honeymoon period of the rehearsal stage where you're getting to know each other and you've all bonded to become the best of friends, ready to tell the schools, churches and theatres in the northwest of England a great inspirational story, the frustrations come. Irritations with one another and motorway stress all start growing. Maybe it's because somebody continues not to pull their weight or personalities clash. And if I shared in that frustration about someone in the group, or I just don't want to be the odd one out, the temptation to share in the gossip when that individual was not around was huge. So they're just some of the ways that words have the power that can harm and destroy. And Proverbs has more. But Proverbs also says that words have the power of life as well. Proverbs 16 verse 24 says, Gracious words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. We are called to encourage, comfort, to build up, affirm and instruct each other. We need to hear words from outside of us. Sci-fi writer Philip K. Dick puts it like this. There exists for everyone. A sentence, a series of words that has the power to destroy you. Another sentence exists, another series of words that could heal you. If you're lucky, you'll get the second. But you can be certain of getting the first. Although we've looked at the damage words can do, Proverbs does give us instructions on the type of words we can and need to give to one another as well. Words that can bring life. And here are five types of words that Proverbs gives us that we not only need to speak to others, but also what we need to receive from others ourselves. 
first one is truthful and honest, kind and gentle, direct and courageous, wise and apt, and finally, economical. Truthful and honest words. Proverbs 12, 17 says, an honest witness tells the truth, but a false witness tells lies. This is something where I'm sure we've all messed up in, at least in some way. We may not set out with the intention to be a false witness. It's possible to say something which is technically true, but with a lot missing. This is still shielding the true reality of the situation. And that might be because we, we don't want to have that difficult conversation with someone, or, or it's easier to tell people what they want to hear. But when we do that, we're deceiving. Kind and gentle speech, direct and courageous. I'm going to put these together. Proverbs 15 verse 1 says, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Gentleness doesn't necessarily mean being sensitive, nice, agreeable. It says in Proverbs 25 verse 15, Through patience a ruler can be persuaded, and a gentle tongue can break a bone. Gentleness can be quite persuasive, challenging, direct and forthright, but also very clear. The problem is we can be quite direct and forthright, but in such a way that inflicts pain on someone, cutting them down. When it comes to being direct, forthright and gentle, you need both. You can't have one without the other. If you just have direct, courageous, forthright speech and no thought behind the tone and how you say something, unintentional damage could be done. On the other hand, having a gentle and kind tone without being direct and forthright, it's easy to not be clear, as well as deceiving, not being fully honest. Four, wise and appropriate words. Proverbs 25 verse 11 says this, like apples of gold in settings of silver is a ruling rightly given. There is a sense with these proverbs that wisdom in speech is key here. Knowing the right timing of when to speak, how much you say. Like apples of gold in settings of silver, there's a craft to it. It's appropriate for the individual or occasion in that moment. Maybe you have individuals at work who you manage. And maybe you have a way of teaching talking, instructing, advising them that you know is effective to them personally on a one-to-one because you know them. You know communicating to them in this way gets the best results out of them. And yet you may speak to another member of the team one-to-one in a different way because that way is more effective for them. Now, when we're talking about what we say to one another, it doesn't just apply verbally. We live in a time where social media and digital communication has a lot of impact in what message we want to try and get across. Emails, text, online messaging, we can do a lot of damage through that. And a lot of damage has been done on an international scale. But it doesn't have to be that way. We've, we've seen over these many months during the pandemic and before how we've been able to help one another through social media, instant messaging, online videoing, streaming the services here at the church. Although we can't meet physically in the way we want to at the moment, 
It doesn't mean we can't be intentional in how we use our words to build one another up in other ways. Now, hopefully we've endeavoured to do that. But let me reinforce it. Pick up your phone. Message a member of your fellowship group. Ask them how they can be praying for them. Ask them to pray for you. Message that friend you haven't seen for ages to go for a walk and and a catch-up in the park. Be creative. Don't let social distancing stop you from encouraging one another. Five, finally, words are economical, not impulsive. Proverbs 10, 19 says, Sin is not ended by multiplying words, but the prudent hold their tongues. Obviously, this comes back to having the right words for the right moment. But also, the amount of words that are used. The more words that are used, it's likely I'll be less clear in the message I'm communicating. The more I speak, the more likely I'll dig a hole for myself, try and justify myself, say the wrong thing, and probably lie. I'm more likely to sin, and it gives me a greater doorway to do harm to others. In fact, there's a lot in keeping our mouth shut. That being silent can be the right thing to do in many situations. Proverbs 18 verse 13 says, To answer before listening, that is folly and shame. And Proverbs 17 verse 28 says, even fools are thought wise if they keep silent and discerning if they hold their tongues. Now, of course, it's a helpful thing to do, to look back and see how our words may have been used and what effect they may have had with the hope that it may be a source of wisdom for change. And you probably know yourself, you're more careful with what you say because of the consequences that have happened when you've spoken in the past. And change does happen to a degree in that way. But not to the extent it needs to. Because the problem, we're told, isn't solved by just wisely watching the tongue and meditating on all these warnings and instructions off by heart. Even in the book of James I mentioned earlier, it says all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. But one verse in Proverbs tells us the real core root and what needs to change. Proverbs 16 verse 23 says, the hearts of the wise make their mouths prudent and their lips promote instruction. Proverbs 16.23 says that actually what you say is a result and condition of the heart. In fact, it's not just Proverbs that says this. Jesus in Matthew 12.33 pretty much says exactly the same thing. Make a tree good and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. What is my heart full of? The, The issue is not with how well disciplined and thought through we are in how we speak and the words we use. Though that's important and it counts. The core problem, we're told, is our heart. And what's going on there? 
What's really driving that impulsion, that insecurity, that fear of why I need to get out what I feel I need to get out? My heart is full of something behind the word with an intent. Do I speak or not speak because I want your approval? Am I needing to be heard or will I do everything to keep silent? Why? The hearts of the wise make their mouth prudent. Where will our hearts take us? We speak words to ourselves. The world speaks words to us. And those words have the power to shape and mould our hearts. Therefore, what words are we going to listen to? What words are we going to allow to influence the deepest part of us? Jesus said to Satan when he was tempted in the desert, the man will not live on bread alone, but every word of God. Jesus also says in John chapter 6, verse 63, the words I have spoken to you, they are full of the spirit and life. The words we need to hear first and foremost to take shape within the inner parts of our life are his. When we read what Jesus said, the apostles' teaching and all of scripture, they are more than just ancient, wise, moral, helpful sayings and stories, helping us to live a life on a straight path. These words, with the help of the Holy Spirit, have the power to utterly transform our hearts. Words have the power to change us for the better, but they're his words. The fruit of the words we speak ultimately doesn't just come from what the eyes of our hearts are feeding on, but also what they're fixed on. The overwhelming, immense love that God shows to us, Christ dying for mankind whilst we were still enemies of God, the beauty of the gospel that we're saved by grace, this undeserved favour. And because of Christ dying on the cross, we can enter into a restored relationship with God. That's what our hearts need to be fixed on. Have you ever received the silent treatment from someone? To be on the receiving end of the silent treatment and even give it is not a pleasant experience, sometimes far worse than hearing something harsh. Tim Keller, a pastor in New York, uses this powerful analogy that when Jesus was on the cross and he calls out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he gets no response. That that's the ultimate cosmic silent treatment that can be given. And he's the one that got it. All for the purpose that we, me and you, could hear the words from God the Father, that we are his children, sons and daughters of God, co-heirs, with Christ. If you're listening to this and wouldn't consider yourself a follower of Christ, let me encourage you to look into who Jesus is, who he claimed to be and what he came to do. Maybe your only connection when you hear the name Jesus is stories you heard when you were a child. How about rereading those stories again as an adult? Try a modern translation like the NIV. It will be a different experience. If you have questions about the Christian faith, a great place online to explore this is at www. 
christianityexplore.org. And there are some great resources there. I desperately want to urge you to consider that Jesus' words are the words to hear. We speak words to ourselves. The world speaks words to us. Jesus says, the words I have spoken to you, they are full of the spirit and life. Therefore, what words are you going to listen to?